Go where you want to, and you found your way here to the Safe Toddles Podcast. I'm Dr. Grace Ambrosakin. I'm your host, and I'm the president and CEO of Safe Toddles. When I became a professor of orientation mobility at Hunter College 25 years ago, I was wanting to know more. What was the place of orientation mobility in the lives of people who had received it? So I started conducting these interviews. I wanted to know what was their travel like before? What was orientation mobility services like? And then how did that impact their travel um, subsequently? And so our next one is with Jim Stevenson. And it was recorded July 16th, 2001. Jim was born premature in 1946. As an infant, he became blind due to retinopathy of prematurity. In 1946, that's one year after the long cane was invented for blind World War II veterans. But Jim didn't get his first cane until he graduated undergraduate school, so after college. Like all our interviews so far, It's another very smart person who was successful and more. But he was also able to look back and see regret for those lost years without an effective travel tool. But he's not sad about it. He's just reflective about it. And he's also very proud, rightly so, of everything that he also does do and is doing. So sit back, relax, and let's listen to Jim's story. But I like to be called Jim, last name Stevenson. And your date of birth? 46. And where were you born? L.A. And where do you live now? I live in Palo Alto, California. What do you do for a living? I'm a research psychologist is my job title. And what that means is auditory displays and uh, sonification, meaning representing as sound. Uh, audio, uh, complex data, mathematical structures, statistics, computer programmers, computer programs. I could use you. <laughs> um, what's your highest degree? A PhD in experimental psychology. How long have you had a vision impairment? I was born blind. And what's the name of it? Uh, retinopathy of prematurity, they now call it. Do you have functional vision? No, I'm totally blind. Okay. When did you first realize... No, no light perception, no nothing. Zero. Okay. When did you first realize you were visually impaired? Well, let's see. I guess as far back as I can remember, I knew that my parents could detect at a distance the things that I couldn't, and we discussed... Uh, I've, I've always known that I was blind. Yeah. When did you learn first learn to travel independent of another person? Well, it's weird. I, in high school, let's see, even when I was a kid, my parents would take me for walks and, you know, teach me some kind of pre-cane skills, uh, have me walk independently uh, down the block and teach me to listen for stuff and... You know, I'd say 
you know, when I was maybe eight or nine years old. So teach you to listen for what? What? What they teach you to listen to. Well, the sounds of trees, uh, the sounds of traffic. Neat. And then I had some very minimal kind of neighborhood cane travel training in high school. You did? From uh, the Braille Institute. Unfortunately, they were not smart enough in those days to bring the uh, O&M training into the uh, gym class. But uh, they, they did come out and give me some, some neighborhood uh, cane training. But I didn't really use a cane much in college. I went to a small college called Pomona. Mm -hmm. The whole campus was maybe four blocks by three blocks. 12 square blocks and I went back to a Pomona reunion with a cane of course because I got most of my cane training I went to the Braille Institute all summer and had some really intensive cane training after I graduated undergraduate oh okay and I went back to a reunion on campus of course with a cane and I don't understand uh, how I got around without it. I bumped into a lot of bicycles. And I, at, at the time, I, I didn't seem to need it as much at, in college, but when I went back, I, I sure realized how much I needed it. Well, what are some strategies, thinking back, that you used? Well, just listening very carefully, and I, I was very familiar with that small campus. And yeah. So, you know, some friends uh, walked me around the campus a lot during the pre-freshman uh, orientation. So it was an area that I was very familiar with. It was a very quiet area as far as traffic. There were no major uh, uh, thoroughfares to cross. I see. So during grade school, you didn't have a cane. No. What? How didn't did you get around the elementary and all those? See, that wasn't hard. I mean, it was just a small campus. I mean, I, I don't know how I did it. It just, it seemed easy. It's, it's almost like walking around in the building at work. I don't really need a cane. I, I, I use one at work in the building just because the drinking fountains are recessed and sometimes people move tables and carts and leave them in the hall but mainly to, to protect the other people who could not see me uh, while they're uh, drinking in those recessed uh, fountains right but just if, if I knew the halls were clear, no way would I need a cane just to to walk around my work building any more than I needed to walk around my house. So, did you feel restricted in any way? No. Um, and during, say, junior high or as you started to get older, um, did you feel like you were participating as much as any other teenager? And are your interests 
only as relating to mobility skills, or do, are you asking this in a more general context? I guess with regard to O&M mostly. It's like, did you feel that, how would you go if you would go with people, or you had arrangements, or you if felt I, like you could? Well, you know, they, they took us to school and back in camps. Cabs? Yes. Wow. It, it was it was a deal where everyone in the San Gabriel Valley, have you ever been to California? Yeah, but I don't know very well. The San Gabriel Valley is, you know, maybe 30 miles by 15 or 20 miles. And one school district, Temple City, had all the blind students, and another had all the deaf, so they didn't all have to do everything. So they would take us to school and back in, you know, maybe a 20-mile radius in camps. Not individual camps, but several in a camp, or sometimes it was, you know, like a little mini school bus. Yeah. It, it, was, it was not individual transportation. It was shuttle uh, transportation with uh, several blind students. I see. So you went to the school for the blind there? No. The, the Temple City has, was an integrated school, but they had a resource room I for see. all the blind students. That was from junior high on up. Mm -hmm. Before that, elementary school, I went to a school in L.A. called Francis Blend, which was an all-blind school. And, you know, I could say some good and bad things about that. If, but I don't think that's your focus of interest. And and because it's not really related to O and M, you felt like for the most part everything was meeting your needs. Ex yeah, except that going from an all-blind school with maybe 80, 80 students for the whole elementary school to going to a junior high of about six hundred was quite a shock. Oh, I bet. Uh, I wish I'd had a little more experience in an integrated environment yes. uh, beforehand. But the shock was not related particularly to O&M. It was the, the kind of issues of sighted uh, bullies uh, picking on the blind students, especially in gym class, and not getting enough, uh, not getting enough supervision from the uh, the coaches who were really only interested in selecting football players even at the junior high level yeah. and uh, you know I still have some very bad memories about that but they're not really related to O&M well I, uh, I, I am sort of keeping it to that and you learned your way around the junior high school by yourself or with friends oh or? no the, well I was I didn't have any friends we moved into the area but the, the teachers were very good at, uh, you know, walking with me and showing me around. And it only took, you know, a very small number of days. Yeah. Less than two weeks, probably less than one. And then you had it down. Yeah, it was a small place. Yeah. You know, the whole junior high was, except for the gym facilities, the, the whole classroom part of the, the junior high was less than a square block it was it was a small place do you have any t memories of um riding bikes 
roller skating, any of those kinds of activities? Oh, I tried bikes, but I couldn't balance well, and the same with uh, roller skates. I, mm -hmm. I tried them, but I couldn't... Uh, I've always been a little overweight, but I wasn't that overweight at the time, but they're, they're, I don't know, either I didn't try it long enough or I had some kind of mild gait disturbance that is uh, subclinical. I certainly don't have any problems walking around, and, uh, you know, I could jump on a trampoline and do diving off the low and high board, so I could do all that, but I never could seem to... If I tried to do anything but stand still on the roller skates, I would fall. Uh. So I could only do that if I had a great link to skate along. Yeah. Um, so your first O&M, uh, do you remember what was the method that was used to teach you? Or experience? You know, they just taught me, showed me how to tap. Uh, you know, opposite my steps and how to feel for the curbs and, you know, cross the street in front of my house to the playground and in another school across the street and listen for the traffic and things like that. And he, and they must have given you the cane. Oh, yeah. What did you think of it? I After, liked it. I yeah. liked it. Why? What? Why? Well, it gave me more feeling of uh, independence. Yeah. You know, and it, it was an adventure. I love to learn new things. Yeah. I, I'm not a big outdoor sportsman, but intellectually and, you know, as far as the, the cane travel, I am not happy unless I learn something new literally every hour. Mm. And it's very fortunate that I was able to land a job in research. Yeah. So did you, I mean, you didn't use it in college. You liked the cane, but, I mean, what, where's the correlation there? I mean, well, wh why it, were this you? is very hard to explain because, as I say, when I went back for the reunion, I thought that I would have been better off using it, but I just, I, I didn't really think that it was a big enough environment that I needed it, and in in that sense, it wasn't, except that it would have kept me from bumping into some bicycles, and there was one time when I took a wrong turn and fell off a drop-off, and, mm. and uh, so, you know, I, I was very careful not to do that again. It was actually a drop-off that no one had told me about, because mm. it was... It was the only time in my life that I really uh, veered badly and didn't know it. Wow. You know, I, I really feel kind of uh, silly for not using the cane at least a little more in college, and, and it's hard to explain why I didn't. Yeah. But it was a conscious decision that, wow, this isn't really complicated enough. Yes. Of a place yes. that I yes. would need to take and use it. Yes, although if I had it to do over again, I would decide that uh, most of the time outdoors I should use it. It's interesting. I wonder, um, since you grew up getting to know familiar environments without a cane, that the, that really was more. Yes, that's what you right. Were used to. Yeah, exactly. I was. I was used to it. 
I I thought of the cane more as a protection for crossing uh, major streets, but the the street that I was crossing in my neighborhood at home was a major is a major thoroughfare, whereas there the traffic patterns were really very uh, sedate and subdued and uh, very uh, less of a major thoroughfare than this at uh, Pomona College. Great, so it did fit with your model. Yeah. Yeah. But I think my model was wrong. Well, it's an interesting model, and it may, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And let's see, I think it hopes, hopefully it has changed. It has changed. It's gone it down, and now yeah, we teach yeah. children to use the cane and to travel with it. So. Yeah, I wish I had had more cane travel. And as I said, uh, I, I really like the idea of making it part of the gym class uh, so that the the blind kids have something to do other than watch the damn football game right. practice. Right. So that would be a good time. Uh-huh. It's hard sometimes to fit in when is a good time to do it. Was all of your cane training that you remember focused outside, outdoors, or did you have any indoors? Well, when I went to the Braille Institute after I graduated college, mm-hmm. I knew I was going to Stanford. Yeah. And Stanford, of course, is a, a lot bigger place. And it was just obvious that I was going to need some cane training. And I really devoted the summer to doing just that. So, you know, it was systematic, and they they did the indoor cane training. But I'm a quick study. Mm-hmm. So the indoor phase only took maybe three to five days, I don't remember exactly. And my whole feeling with the indoor part was I could, I don't even need a cane for for this except to find the stairs in an an unfamiliar building, but once I found it the first time, I don't really need a cane again. Let's get on with something I do need it for. And we very quickly went to outdoor uh, training. Do you think that your abilities were accurately assessed and used in the training? There were two cane instructors, one in the morning and one in the afternoon, and the guy in the morning, Matt Angus, uh, was a very good, thorough assessor of abilities. The the one in the afternoon took it too slow for for me. Yeah. So he really wasn't... uh tuned in to what you're capable of. I kept telling her, we need to accelerate this. I've only got one summer. You're going over what I already know. Uh, But, you know, she... I don't think that she was that smart herself, frankly. She was a nice person, but I don't think that she was, was that intelligent or had much experience with an intelligent person. Yeah. Um, how'd you locate that Braille Institute? Was it all your idea? Or? Well, it was the only place in the L.A. area where they were giving uh, cane training. So. so you knew that you wanted cane training? Oh, yeah. And although I thought I didn't need it as an undergraduate, it was very obvious that, you know, Stanford was a, both a much, much bigger an unfamiliar place, and there there was no doubt in my mind that I needed cane training. 
and the the other uh, the other summers I had gone to summer school uh, at a state college and I just decided you know I can't take college courses this summer even though that would be more fun because I'm really going to need the cane training before I go to Stanford. Um, so how long did you work with the Braille Institute? That was uh, all summer? Was For us, all summer. Three months or? Three months. Great. June, July, and August. And you progressed through to what was the final kinds of lessons that you were working on? Well, what they call the light uh, business district. We never, we never got to uh, the downtown in a major city heavy business district, but uh, that that was it. And you were aware that that was some lessons that you weren't going to do. Well, there wasn't time. I and you know that I live in a suburban uh, area. I, I don't because of the the lack of buses, I need to get carpools to work. Mm -hmm. So I don't take the bus to work, and even if I did, that's still sort of light, light uh, uh, suburban environment as opposed to, I don't know what terms you use now, but, uh, you know, what, what do they call the, the training where you actually across the most difficult trafficked tree streets in a, same. a major city. Use the same downtown. Yeah, downtown. Yeah, so okay. I I have never had that. I doubt that it would take very long to do, but I don't live there, and the, the nearest downtown is so far away uh, with so many bus transfers that it's not something that I would be able to incorporate into my weekly life. Yes. I, you know, the, the, the nearest the nearest downtown is San Francisco, and that's forty miles away. And the you know the I know some guys do it from the VA just to keep in practice, but it's it's several bus uh, transfers. Yeah. I just. Uh, you know, I don't know what to call it. Maybe some some NFBers would probably call me lazy. I don't know. <laughs> well, if that's all they ever call you, what are you going to do? Um, I frankly don't care what they call me. <laughs> um, I, I think I, I I think the NFB does a lot of good, and yeah. I think they do a lot of harm by fighting the wrong battles. And I, you know, I learn wherever I can and leave the rest. How about any solo routes? Did your instructor ever say, do this route, but I'm not going with you or anything Yeah, like that? well, I don't know. I don't remember if they didn't go with me or if they, you know, were down the block. But, yeah, we did some bus transfers and some drop-offs, uh, the usual disorient the client, drop them off. Uh, you know, sometimes ask directions and sometimes uh, just try and find it if it's a more familiar uh, neighborhood where we've been doing practice. So we did those. So were those helpful? Do they come in handy down the line? It was an exciting adventure, and I'm, I'm glad I learned it. 
the disorienting ones and the all that. Mm -hmm. Good. How many different types of mobility tools have you tried? Uh, I've tried the laser cane and I was unimpressed. Uh -huh. I didn't give enough information. Okay. I have a sonic guide, but I seldom go where I need it. But if I was if I was going by myself downtown or shopping, I certainly would use it. As I say, it's, it's just the bus system is limited enough that I get friends to, to pick up stuff at the store for me. I, I, I rent out a room and I ask them to buy things for me when they go shopping. So I don't do my own shopping. If I if I ever did anything that complicated or the light business district, I certainly would use the Sonic Guide I, more. What do you I, use it for? I, I, I say I don't use it much, but it's there if I ever need it. Uh-huh. And I really like the information. It gives me more information. I've, I evaluated one called the Path Sound Sounder out of written and it didn't give enough information. So tell me what is the difference? Where is the good? Where is the enough? What do you mean? Well the sonic guide actually the, the things sound different. It gives information about the texture. You can hear the difference between a tree and a glass window. Mm. Uh, have you ever tried it? You know I haven't. Oh, okay, so you don't know what I'm talking about. I know just theoretically about I the see. different beeps and the ability to do that. I strongly recommend that you try it. I will. Uh, it, it would be hard to do these interviews without personal knowledge, at least for a couple hours. Good point. But it, it, you, you know what the objects are, whereas all these others, you know that there's something there, but you don't know what it is or how big it is you just know that something has triggered it right and i i have a moat sensor but that doesn't give enough uh, information so again it's that it's there it's a go no go but it's not at the quality of filling in sort of the blanks Ex yeah exactly so the laser cane sonic guide path sounder moat sensor and uh, what you do is, with your cane, you you wear the Sonic Guide. Yes. And uh, Sonic Guide is not a substitute for a cane. It does. It gives you no information about curbs. Right. And I, you know, I think that's the one really unsolved problem in in ETA. One of them is uh, is reliable uh, curb detection. Yes. And the laser cane does some of that, but not reliably. And it's basically a cane. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. And so... If it, if, if it was could be added onto a cane for a couple hundred bucks, I'd do it. Just for even a little more information, but not 3000 Oh, right. But the rehab bought me the Sonic Guide. I didn't. How far do you have it set? How far away do you want to get that information? Well, uh, usually the, the long long-range uh, setting. Can you learn more about your environment through the use of the sonic? Oh, absolutely.
repeatedly, and I, I have strongly recommended when I've given you know interviews to groups that it be uh, that it be used intensively for concept formation, even uh, when it's uh, even for a person that isn't going to uh, need to use it to, to go to work. But you know, let me. Let me emphasize, if things were slightly different, if I could take a bus to work without uh, an hour and a half of weights and transfers and unreliability for, for something that takes 10 minutes by car, yeah. if I could take a bus to work, I'd be using that sonic guide every day. Yeah, because... So, so the the reason that I don't use it isn't because it isn't good. It's damn good. Yeah. It's because of the just the there's fairly good public transportation in Palo Alto, but not to the place where I work one city away. Yeah. And it's it's just that happenstance. So, um, have you ever heard of the the global positioning uh, GPS with the Atlas Speaks? Oh, I'm on the, the email list that discusses that, uh -huh. and, and I am eager to try it. Uh, I probably, I, from what I've heard of it, you have to take a laptop yeah. and a, a backpack, and it, it's a bit At cumbersome yeah. to, to keyboard it, and yet uh, if, if there were some complicated route that I needed to go, I I think I'll have one in the next year or two. You know, I need to buy another laptop, and so why not get a little one and right. a GPS? And you know, even if I don't uh, use it all the time, uh, hell, it's fun to play with. And I love the thing. Uh, I got to see uh, it, and uh, you know, it's one of those things where you never have to guess anymore. Yes. What computer do you use it with? I I've only seen the demonstrations. But it was just a basic laptop. It's just a software program that boots up into a basic laptop. Um, yes. And uh, it's a map software that speaks. And uh -huh. then the GPS, and then connects the GPS to it. And things that you can do to it are add locations um, so that it tells you, okay, now you're coming up to the restaurant that you always eat at. Uh -huh. um, in addition to just knowing the map that is of that area. So yes. where am I now? You're south of 125th. Yeah. It's great. That, w that would sure be good when a bus driver uh, doesn't know where it doesn't know or lets you off at the wrong stop. Exactly. Stomach. Exactly. It would just be ideal. You never have to ask another person. Exactly. You just always know. You can look for yourself. Now, are you blind also? No. I see. No. Okay. You're, you're an O&M uh, trainer. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's that's one of my uh, soon to buys. Neat, neat. Uh, okay. Um, what? So right now you use a cane. Yes. Um, how many canes do you own? Three or four. And what type? What's your favorite brand that you use? Well, I'm not current. I, I haven't researched it. Uh, but my favorite one is the rigid VA cane because it's strong enough uh, to, you know, go under a bumper and not break. That's the aluminum? 
yes. Mm -hmm. But I've been hearing things about carbon fiber canes, and that's another soon-to-look-at thing. Where do you buy your canes? God, I've had my current canes for over 10 years. I don't remember where I bought the last ones. How do you decide which one you're going to use? Oh, there's just one that I use all the time, and then I've got a couple spares in, in various places uh, just in case. Like where? One in my office and one at home. Uh -huh. um, and, one, and one in my mother's home, which I visit every other weekend, and which is the house where I grew up. I, I've had my cane uh, stolen twice. No. And amazingly enough, one time at Stanford wow. in the dorms. And that was really a terrifying experience. Uh, what did you do? In a place like Stanford. Asked for a lot of help and uh, got one from the VA uh, within a day or two. Mm. What but kind of tip, what kind of cane tip was at the bottom? That nylon tip. Mm -hmm. That nylon tip that screws into the aluminum. Now, you know, when we're done with this interview, I'm going to ask you what what is current that I should be thinking about next time I go cane shopping. Well, if you ever think that that aluminum is too heavy, you know, those carbon fibers are very light, and that's what I hear people really like that. I've, I've actually never the tried fiberglass one. fiberglass also is light. Uh -huh. um, and they both come in a rigid form. Uh -huh. Yep, yep. So um, there's I, a, I, a lot of websites now that you can really look them over. Uh-huh. Um, well, how tall is your cane? How long is it? It's, I believe, 60 inches, and I am 6 foot 4. So it sort of goes up to the middle of my chest, and I think if I buy another one, I might even get a couple extra inches. Why is that? I'm so tall, and, yeah. you know, if I ever take a big step, uh, it's nice to have a little extra warning. Yeah. How do you feel about traveling alone to unfamiliar places? Well, it's just, just because of, you know, who I know and where I live, I don't do a lot of it. It doesn't particularly frighten me, but there's... You know, if someone really needed to see me and meet, you know, meet me up in San Francisco, I don't fear getting there, but yet it doesn't happen. How would you prepare for something like that? Get on the phone, find out. Oh, I already know the bus routes, half of it, but, you know, get on the phone, check the bus routes, and uh, probably make some some notes because uh, there'd probably be too many transfers to remember mm -hmm. and then go do it. I, I have enough keen travel that that I could do it without fear. Have you used, uh, do you use maps of any kind? If there are tactile maps of my city, I don't know about it and if you think there might be that will be an immediate get. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have not heard of tactile maps. I 
want to do that myself. I want to do a thorough investigation because I know in New York there's a grant-funded project at Baruch College that produces tactile maps. Unlike a lot of blind people, I really liked map study. Then, you know, they had lots of relief maps. And it's it's weird. I'll, I'll tell you a story. During the Gulf War, I called up where I used to go to high school, and I said, hey, let me come over and uh, borrow your globe for two minutes and uh, familiarize me with where the Gulf is and where Iraq is and where Saudi Arabia is to more detail. No, it isn't neat. They said, we don't have any blind people who could use that globe. They're all multiply handicapped. There are no more, or virtually no more, at least no more at that high school, intelligent blind people. And we got rid of that globe uh, three or four years ago. Well, it's... When, you know, there were a lot of people with retinopathy of prematurity. Yes. And the, the, I'm on the O&M list, and the, anybody I talk to, they just say that an intelligent blind person that is not multiply handicapped is quite a rarity nowadays. Do you, have you found otherwise? Well, unfortunately... Um uh, there's a number of kids I work with in the preschool, and uh, everything is normal, but they do have a severe vision impairment, so yeah. that they're still being born. I will say that, luckily, that we don't hide kids anymore, or, and we do are able to save medically save a lot of kids that wouldn't have lived before, and so yeah. we are able to uh, include many more kids than ever were included in school um, and give them education than had been in the past. And I think that that's really, you know, people say, oh, there's more, there's there's more, but then there's also, it's just like any of these social issues. It's always been there. Yes, <laughs> yes. Had to get them out there in the open and start doing things about this. I, I never felt that I was hidden myself. Good, yeah. Um, I was sent to a five-day-a-week residential nursery school for the blind. And I am intensely between ages of three and five. And I am passionately against that unless there are very unusual circumstances. I, I am for the use of the nursery school for the day or maybe an occasional overnight, but not being away from home no. for five nights a week for a three-year-old kid. Right. Uh, you, you can hear the in my voice. You know, I, I don't go around feeling bad about it, but when I think about it, it's a very bad memory. Yeah. And the par- your parents just, they were told that was the thing to do. I yeah, think. and they didn't like me being away from home, but they were told that that was necessary. And that was just so wrong. They should have sent a social worker out to to brief them on how to teach me to dress myself and things like that rather than taking me away. Yeah. Well, that's definitely the holdover that I think we've done better by. Yes. That, you know, you just separate out and... But I, I, I was born in 46 and 
Christ, a lot of, of uh, people my age went to residential blind schools uh, nine months out of the yep. year. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, someday somebody's going to do some research, but I'll bet a lot of them have an attachment disorder because they were away so long. I'll bet a lot of them have an attachment disorder. Well, absolutely. I mean, it just affects your ability to make a community out of, you know, you're usually when you go to school, you go to school with your fellow buds who live down the block from you. Yeah. So they can see each other and socialize after school. Well, I think that that's why a lot of them can, seems like all their friends are blind. Mm. Yes. And, you know, I have nothing against blind friends. Some of my dear friends are blind, and a lot of my dear friends are sighted. Yes. yes. Well, then, they, uh, that's where we are at now. We're in, at, with inclusion, with the stress on uh, always being moving more and more and more. How can we make this work in the home environment, in the school, in uh-huh. the community? And... Um, not necessarily that it's always doing good because one of the things is oh well then we don't need to spend as much money on trained teachers <laughs> oh yes you do you need to spend money work. Work. yeah it doesn't work you have to have someone who knows the specific skills to teach braille and mobility and all the others so now you know I when I got the sonic guide they were talking about using the infant sonic guide for well toddlers mm-hmm. to teach early concept formation. Um, has that been pursued? Unfortunately, no. I mean, there has been fits and starts, but no one in the O&M community has really pushed it as, an, as a thing to be done. It's, in fact, I don't know if you get the sense, but even the GPS is in some ways feared for what would it do. I don't know. I don't know why, but ETAs, have gotten a bad rap. I think it's an unfortunate yeah. thing. I think that they're an incredible addition. Yeah, they are. It's, well, but people want them to do everything, and if they won't do everything, they say they're useless. But I think the and messages think that you wrong. get from professionals also stick with you. It's like, who works with you? Well, my yeah. O&M says it's too expensive and it doesn't add enough. Well, they didn't stick with me. You know, that's, that's on my list. And as I say, if... Yeah. If the buses enabled a little more independent travel, I'd have had one a year ago. Yeah. So I'm completely in agreement with you on that. What um, one thing that happens frequently when you're traveling that you like the least? When people push me where they think I want to go, often without even saying anything, and amazingly enough, it happens the most in the men's room, not walking down the street. Oh. Or they grab my cane. And, you know, on a, on a bad day, I've been known to tell people, how dare you touch me without asking, and especially before you washed your hands. <laughs> I, I try not to do that because I don't want them to not help. Yeah. But I do think that you should ask someone before you touch them. Um, so usually the way that's handled is 
Um, you d it depends on the situation, it sounds like. If it's in the bathroom and they're just pushing you or... Yeah, no. When I'm in a reasonable mood, I just say, please ask me what, if I need help, yeah. before you touch me. So that's what the advice you give is to say pedestrians when they want to help is ask. Yeah, I say, I appreciate your help, but please ask before you touch and push. Yeah. Um, and you get to and from work using a carpool. Yes. How did you arrange that? Put an, well, put an ad in the newspaper for our NASA center, got an email. Uh, what, what really worked was emailing everybody saying that I'm looking for a carpool. Yeah. Because then everybody got on their email. That worked better than putting an ad in the newspaper. And, you know, I have enough backups that I can say to them, you don't have to do it every day. But if you're willing to do it even 20% of the time, that's better than me getting stuck. So how does that work? What's the deal here? You've got a lot of different people that you should... In the, in the morning, I have a regular person, but of course I need backups when she's on vacation. But she only works part-time, and I usually have to stay later. So I usually call, I have to call backups in the afternoon. And um, do you contribute to the commute in some way? Oh, my, yes. That's, you know, even with backups, I really fear somebody uh, saying, well, I've, you know, I've done this long enough, and it's five minutes out of the way. Uh, why don't you go? Why don't you find someone else to ask? And that has happened. But I always offer more. Hang on just a second. Sure. Emergency. <laughs> well, I hope everything's okay. Oh, yeah. You fixed it. Good, good. Um, just a couple more. You've been so patient with me. I appreciate it. So you... Um, I think we covered you You pay uh, for gas money or for whatever they want to use? Well, for gas money and a little try, try to pay a little extra. Neat. So that helps to keep them participating. Yes. Nice. Very, very much. Nice. Um, have you ever been or how do you handle being lost or disoriented? I've never been lost disoriented where I couldn't find somebody to ask. Well, but I guess there were some times when I, I just tried what seemed promising and it either worked or I found somebody to ask. Yeah, I've, I've never been, you know, lost and disoriented for, for hours, although I've heard other people have been. So basically it's how do you locate someone? Listen for footsteps. Sometimes just say, is there anyone around here? Uh, what kinds of things do you use as landmarks? Oh, everything. Trees, buildings, light poles. Where is the grass? And anything I can think of. So what function do they play for you? Well... Establishing reference points, location, something familiar to tell me where I am. Yeah. 
so the grass line and the tree in a particular area and the building line in, in any anything anything and everything that a cane can can feel or that an ear can listen for echoes from um, would you pass along any tips or strategies for carpools or um, using them effectively Amy, you want me to tell you what I think is important? Yeah. Uh, be sure to pay my share. Don't keep people waiting. Uh, express appreciation. Uh, if I can think of anything that they like, uh, buy them a gift if I run across anything that I know they like. Neat. What about with buses? Any strategies you'd pass along there? I sure try to ask the drivers to uh, tell me where the stops are, and if they don't, I ask them if, if it seems like I should be on the bus long enough that I should be uh, getting near my destination, I always ask, try and sit toward the front where I can ask them. Have you ever been off, let off at the wrong place? Yeah. What do you do? Well, asked, figured out where I was, asked where the bus was to get me back to where I needed to go. Yeah. And that's all you can do. Um, when you fell off that drop-off, were you injured? Seriously, or have you ever been? Mm. From traveling? Nothing, nothing more than a major uh, skin abrasion. Yeah. Good. Good. Do you belong to any professional or consumer organizations? No. Um, what do you attribute to your current level of travel? Well, I, I had good instruction. Would you give any advice to O&Mers? What advice would you give? To, to, to Owen Amherst? Yeah. Uh, from what I've seen, you guys know the, the trade uh, pretty well. I, As again, I think the electronic ETA should be uh, presented as an option. And uh, even if... Even if the person doesn't like him, if... If at all possible, the Sonic Guide or, or its successors especially should be used to, to broaden the concept formation. Yeah, I agree. Would you get more mobility instruction? If, if I lived in slightly different circumstances, I would get the uh, downtown mobility instruction if, if I were ever to need to go there for some reason or or have to live in a big city, then I certainly would. Well, that's the interview. I told you to take about an hour. Anything else I can do to help? No, no. Do you like New Yorker jokes? Sure. Do you know what the opposite of talking is for a New Yorker? What? Preparing to talk. <laughs> What are you saying? We talk a lot in New York. Well, you don't act like 
an aggressive New Yorker, but... Well, I grew up in the South. I grew up in New Orleans. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so you're not completely acculturated. Right, right. Although... There, there's another one that all every New Yorker tells me is exactly right on. What's it? But, well, it has a four-letter word in it, so I don't know if you want to hear it or not. It's Absolutely. Okay, how many New Yorkers does it take to change a light bulb? I don't know. Fuck you! <laughs> I would have expected fuck if I know, but... <laughs> Go change your own light bulb. <laughs> That's funny. What did the Zen Buddhist say to the hot dog stand owner? No. Make me one with everything. <laughs> I've heard that one before. <laughs> okay, okay. Thank you so much. Let me know if there's anything else I can do. Well, thanks so much. Thanks again. Really appreciate it. Take care. You too. Let me know if I can do anything else to help. I appreciate that. Okay. Okay, have a good one. Bye. Wow. Well, Jim said he had wished he'd had that cane travel in grade school instead of always sitting on the sidelines. He remembered moving about without the long cane in high school, and he didn't recall getting hurt. But when he attended his high school reunion and started moving about campus as an adult, he remembered not understanding how he managed without a long cane as a child because he bumped into a lot of bicycles, and he then reflected that he was taught to believe that the long canes were just needed in big environments. And this high school was a small environment. But as an adult, he realized that a long cane in high school and grade school would have kept him from bumping into bicycles and falling off drop-offs. Can a child who was blind grow up without a long cane? Yes. But why? You know, without a long cane, they are restricted in their freedom. And they are being put at risk by the adults in charge of their safety and well-being. Sure, people can survive all sorts of hardships. Folks who are smart and have great resilience are perhaps somehow stronger because of these tough situations. But looking back at those hardships comes with a wish that as an adult, he wished he had found a way to alleviate that hardship sooner. And I say thankfully, because of the belt cane, adults have options to get effective mobility tools to toddlers who are blind. And this allows them to grow up only knowing safety and the pure, wonderful joy of independence. You've been listening to the Safe Toddlers Podcast. To learn more about our mission to provide blind toddlers with a solution for walking independently with safety, we can be found through social media. Our website is safetoddles.org. We're on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Safe Toddles. And remember, if you can go where you want to, you should do so as independently and safely as possible. Thanks for listening, and please like, share, and let others know we're here. Come find us. This podcast was made available by generous donations from people like you. We can go if we want to, kind of young and so am I. And we can just build deep from our hearts